People will ask, what is clay? And it's a really good question. It can be anything and it can be nothing. At the start, clay is just a mixture of ground up rocks and water. People used to go down to the riverbeds and dig in the muck in search of clay. But until you put the clay in the hands of a potter, it's useless, purposeless, lifeless. To go from useless to useful involves a few steps. First, the clay must be centered using consistent, gentle pressure from the outside. This provides a solid foundation to create something beautiful. But with only outside pressure, it's simply a lump of clay. It needs pressure from above so that it can be formed into something useful. Now, when there is pressure from the inside matched with pressure from the outside, something really interesting happens. Growth. The potter draws the clay upwards so that it can become something unique. There comes a point when the piece needs to be trimmed and excess clay needs to be taken away. Looking at it, you may not even realize where it's being weighed down. But the potter knows how to refine it and can trim away the excess that gets in the way. At this point, the piece could become almost anything. As he shapes the piece, sometimes there's so much internal pressure that it can feel overwhelming. And then there are other times when there's quite a bit of pressure from the outside. And the piece probably feels as though it's going to be crushed. But the potter knows what he's doing. Even from the first rotation of the wheel, he knew what his piece of clay would become. Often you can look at pieces and see that they were made by the same potter. They fit together almost like a family, but each one is special, designed for a specific purpose. It might be obvious, but sometimes it needs to be said. The pieces don't make themselves. They didn't get here on their own. They were dependent on their Creator to take shape. To be molded and shaped into something useful, purposeful, unique, and beautiful. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no man may boast.
For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a difference it makes to know our lives are in the hands of the potter. Am I right, friends? That, uh, that potter is a friend of mine named Ryan Peterson. He's a professional potter over in uh, Door County, Wisconsin. And that uh, video was produced this past year by Elmbrook Church outside of Milwaukee. And I thought it would be a great illustration as we open our message this morning talking about the reality of how we can be people of hope in the midst of the trials that we go through in our lives. And that analogy of the potter and the clay, there's probably no more important imagery in all of Scripture for us to understand and embrace in order to have a a proper perspective and vision of who God is and who we are in relationship to Him. The prophet Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 8, Isaiah says, But now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay And you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. He's the potter and we are the clay. And this truth is especially important for us to recognize when it comes to our topic this morning, the the question of trials in our lives. What are we to think when we face challenges and hardships and suffering in life? Where is God in the midst of the monumental trials that we all inevitably face? And how should we respond to those tests that often seem so overwhelming? Friends, knowing that he is the potter makes all the difference in the world. And and this is the message we're going to find in our passage this morning as we continue our journey through the letter of First Peter, Peter is going to remind us of the powerful truths of who God is and, and why we can trust Him and how we can live as people of hope in the midst of the trials of our lives. If you remember, the Apostle Peter was writing this letter to Christians in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, 2,000 years ago. And these were... Christians, people who had recently come to Jesus, and because of their choice to follow Jesus, they were experiencing tremendous hardships. For some of them, it had meant breakups within their families. For some, it meant complications in their workplaces, even even the potential of losing their jobs. For others, it may have entailed literally physical persecution and suffering. And, And so these were people under tremendous pressure. And Peter was writing to encourage them. Now, now, while Peter is speaking most likely specifically to the reality of persecution in our lives for following Jesus, and, and, and the reality is most of us in this room don't know that kind of persecution. But the reality is, is the, the truths that Peter draws out for us in our passage this morning are just as applicable for any of the trials and hardships that might come into our lives. We're going to see these principles are incredibly relevant to all of us. 
as we go through our particular forms of hardship and, and suffering. So we're in chapter one, uh, 4 this morning. Chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. We're, we're coming to the end of Peter's letter. We only have two more weeks after today. And it's interesting that Peter once again returns to this topic of suffering. He, he wants us to have a, a proper vision of who God is. And, and today we're going to discover that we can be people of hope in the midst of our trials. Let's take a look at our passage, and then I want to come back, and I want to highlight four principles that Peter reminds us of that can help us to be and live as people of hope in this world, even in the midst of our trials and hardships. Peter starts out in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's such a great passage for us to reflect on and consider as we think about the reality of trials in our lives. And here in our passage this morning, we discover four truths, four principles that we can remember to help us live as people of hope, no matter what trial or hardship we might go through. The first thing that Peter points out to us this morning, in order to be a person of hope in the midst of our trials, we need to remember, first and foremost, number one, that He is sovereign. God is sovereign. I find it interesting, Peter opens up our passage this morning with a powerful word. Beloved. Beloved. I was tempted to spend the whole sermon this morning just talking on that one word. Friends, have you ever thought about what it means to be God's beloved? How significant that is. And the difference that that reality makes in the context of suffering and trials in our lives. We are God's beloved. The, the word beloved in the Greek is agapetos, and it refers to a person who is cherished, who is dearly loved. And this is who God says you are. You are His beloved, His cherished one. And friends, knowing who you are to God is a major key to being a person of hope in the midst of the trials we face in life. I'll never forget when I was uh, teaching my kids how to swim when they were young, kind of preschool age. And for those of you who are parents, you know the experience, right? I mean, it can often be a traumatic experience the first time you bring your kids into the lake or into the pool and, and you're trying to teach them how to swim. My kids, you know, they were, they were screaming. They didn't want to go in there. They didn't want anything to do with it. They were crying. And as my beloved children, as their father... I brought them into that trial. I allowed them to go into that 
period of what they thought was anxiety and stress and hardship, all the tears, all the grief, all the struggle, I allowed them to go into that trial because as my beloved, I desired them to learn how to swim. I knew the goal I had in mind for them. I wanted them to to grow up being safe around the water. I wanted them to enjoy the water recreationally for a lifetime as something that they look forward to, you know, swimming and water sports. And, And so I allowed them to go through the trial because they were my cherished ones, my beloved. But at the same time, because they were my beloved, there was no way on earth I was going to let anything happen to my kids. I was right there with them. Every stroke, every splash, I would never let them out of my sight because they were my beloved. And friends, it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father will sometimes allow us to go through trials in life because He loves us. But He promises us even in the midst of those trials, He will never leave us. He will never forsake us because we are His. Peter goes on, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. You know, friends, it's interesting. What I find most surprising about the trials in life is is not that the trials come. It's that I'm often so surprised when they do come, right? And and, and why are we so surprised when the trials come? We, We shouldn't be. God in his word has repeatedly told us that we can expect trials in this life. We can expect hardship and suffering and challenges and pain in this world. It's it's part of life in this world. God says, don't be surprised. It, It reminded me this week, I was thinking about two weeks ago when I was flying home from Dallas, Texas. I was down in Dallas speaking at a conference there, and Sunday night I flew home, and as I'm flying home, I'm sitting there in the, airport, in the airplane, and I'm watching the movie on the screen in front of me, you know, and, and I'm just minding my own business and having a good time relaxing, and all of a sudden the pilot interrupts my movie, and he says, hey, everybody, I'm going to ask you to buckle your seatbelts and remain in your seats. We're going to hit some turbulence up ahead. And so, of course, I checked my seatbelt, you know, and then I just went on and kept watching my movie. And five minutes went by. Ten minutes went by. I'm just enjoying my movie. All of a sudden, whoa! The whole plane started shaking. Started rocking back and forth, up and down, and I'm gripping the sides of my seat for dear life, right? I was surprised. But why was I surprised? The pilot had just told me ten minutes earlier that the turbulence was coming. And again, friends, it's the same way God has told us in his sovereignty, in his wisdom. He tells us repeatedly throughout scripture that trials are coming. Don't be surprised. And these trials that can come our way, they come in various forms. Here, Peter describes them as fiery trials. The the word fiery in the Greek is pyrosis. It's where we get our English word pyrotechnics or pyromaniac, right? Pyrosis, it refers to a fiery ordeal, a burning intensity to suffer pain as if through fire. And Peter says, we're going to experience these fiery trials in life. Don't be surprised. Now, the Bible uses the word trials to refer to a whole host of different kinds of challenges that we face in life. 
The, the word trials is parasmos, and it can refer to a trial, a test, a tribulation. It can refer to temptation. And we see this word trials used throughout the New Testament in a whole host of contexts. For example, it's used in the book of Hebrews to refer to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. When, when they were sojourners, strangers, people without a home, that was their trial. It's used and referred to reference to tribulation, persecution on account of God's word, to the person who receives God's word and trusts in Christ, but when the persecution comes, they turn away from their faith. It's used to re- refer to the pain and anguish of physical suffering, the reality of sickness and ailments and disease, not only that we experience, but the pain of walking alongside that pain with a loved one. It's used in regards to satanic temptation and attack. These are all kinds of trials that the Bible says are part of our human experience. And so when Peter here talks about these fiery trials that we shouldn't be surprised when they come our way, he probably has numerous kinds of trials in mind. And he says, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. Do not be surprised, friends, when you feel abandoned and alone and your friends turn their backs on you. Do not be surprised when you're maligned for your faith as a Christian. Do not be surprised when you go to the doctor and he says the diagnosis is cancer. Do not be surprised when old temptations rear their ugly heads and feel as if they're just going to overwhelm you once again. God tells us here the trials are coming. The trials are coming. But the inevitable question that comes to mind when we experience the trials in life is what? What do we always ask? Why? We ask why. Why God? Why me? Why this? Why now? How many of you have ever asked those kinds of questions? I bet every one of us here this morning can relate to that reality. And you know what? Peter has an answer. Peter has an answer to that why question. Peter tells us that the reason we experience trials in life is because God uses trials to test us. That's the answer to the why question. Peter says, why does God allow trials to come into our lives? To test us, he says. And this is why he goes on in verse 12 to say, look at nothing strange is happening to you here. Okay, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes to test you. Okay, don't, don't think like something strange has happened. God has told you in advance that these trials are coming. They're coming to test you. But friends, remember, God is sovereign. He is in control. He brings the trials into our lives. And the good news is, is they are always filtered through his loving hands. Remember, he is the potter. And we are the clay. God uses these fiery trials in our lives as his means of refining us, of molding us, of transforming us into the people he desires us to be for all of eternity. Friends, do you remember what Peter shared with us back in the second week of our series here in 1 Peter? 
All the way back in the second week of our series in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7. through seven. Peter told us this. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, remember, Peter says God allows us to go through the trials to test us, to refine us, so that we might become more and more the kinds of people God wants us to be. And I'd be willing to bet that if you were to reflect back on your life today, if you were to think back over your life on those times when you've most grown in your walk with the Lord, when God's done his most significant work of growing your faith and shaping your character and developing your heart, I'd be willing to bet that you would agree that those most significant times came in the midst of some of the most fiery trials. I know that's been the case in my life. I I think back on the time when I was a young man and I had my heart broken. I I think back on when I was a young pastor at my former church and I was overlooked for the senior pastor position and I thought that, that it was mine. I remember 10 years ago when my dad passed away, unexpectedly, 61 years old. I think back over the last six years in our family, my wife's battle with stage three breast cancer and, and the fiery trial that that's been for our family. And you know what? I think back on all of these events in my life, some which were extremely hard, some that continue to be hard. And yet I look and I realize that in every single one of these fiery trials, God was doing a powerful work in shaping me, molding me, refining me, helping me to become the man that he desires me to be. And so friends, if we're ever going to be people of hope in the midst of the trials that we face in life, first and foremost, the most important lesson we can learn today is to trust that he He is sovereign. God is in control. And He has a plan and a purpose, even for our trials. Now, the second thing that Peter reminds us of this morning, if we're going to be a a person of hope in the midst of our trials, Peter says, remember, opt for joy. Opt for joy. Choose joy in the midst of your trials. Ten years ago, I had the privilege of meeting... uh, a couple who became good friends of mine, uh, Julia and Kevin Garrett. Some of you might recall their, uh, their names. Uh, we had the Garretts here at our apologetics conference a few years ago. If you remember their story, the Garretts were missionaries up in northern China on the border of China and North Korea. That's where I first met them. They had a coffee shop that they used as their cover for being there, and from that place they did aid work and ministry to, to refugees who had come across the border from North Korea. In 2014, the Chinese government accused Kevin and Julia of being spies for the Canadian government. They they set up a dinner for Kevin and Julia, and after the dinner was over, two black cars came and threw them in the back of their cars, and they were whisked away for what would become over two years of imprisonment in a secret black Chinese prison. A black prison is a prison that doesn't 
technically exist. For two years, these dear friends underwent severe persecution. They were separated from one another, didn't see each other for over two two years. They spent the first six months of their imprisonment, both of them in solitary confinement. They were each interrogated over 400 hours. They weren't allowed to have any contact with anybody outside for over two years. You can read their story in their book, Two Tears on the Window. We have it in our church library, or you can order it on Amazon.com. It's a powerful story. It's very interesting, though, if you were to ask Kevin and Julia, knowing what you would go through, knowing what you know now about the suffering and hardship and persecution that you'd endure in that Chinese prison, would you still do it all again? Would you still go to China? Would you still go as undercover missionaries? And it's very interesting. They would tell you absolutely. I was watching an interview with Kevin and Julia recently on a, on a Canadian television channel. And in this interview, Julia said that they, knowing what they know now, they, they wouldn't trade those two years for anything. And why? Because as she puts it, she says this, and I quote, There are treasures, diamond treasures, you can only discover in the midst of suffering. What kinds of treasures? She talks about experiencing God deepening the well of faith in their lives. She, she talked about the, the inexpressible reality of the intimate presence of Jesus with them in the midst of that prison. She, she talks about the, the incomprehensible joy that can only be found in identifying with the countless others throughout history who've taken up the cross of Christ and suffered for Jesus. She says, knowing everything they know now about what they would go through in that prison, she wouldn't trade it for the world because of the joy that they discovered in the midst of those trials. Friends, this is what it means to be a person who opts for joy. It's about discovering those diamond treasures my friend Julia describes. And this is the same message Peter shares with us here in verses 13 and 16. Listen again to Peter's words. He says, but rejoice. Okay, when these fiery trials come to test you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. Peter tells us, opt for joy. Why? Because in suffering, Peter says in suffering, we have the privilege of becoming more like Christ. We, we have the privilege of sharing in our Lord and Savior's sufferings and, and understanding more what He went through for us. And in that sharing of His sufferings, we become more like Jesus. And when His glory is revealed, when He returns, or when we meet Him in heaven, we are going to see the way that God used our suffering to conform us more into the image of Jesus. 
And then Peter says, in suffering, we, we opt for joy because in suffering we experience God's supernatural presence. There is a reality, friends, where the glory of God falls upon us in our suffering in a way that we can't know in other times of life. But we experience uniquely in the midst of those great and fiery trials. Our families experience that. I know many of you here have experienced that. I've heard the testimonies of God's supernatural presence coming upon you in the midst of what seems to be an overwhelming ordeal. And Peter says we opt for joy in suffering because in suffering we are reminded of our identity in Christ. Here he's speaking to these Christians going through persecution and he says, remember when you are maligned for the name of Jesus, when you suffer for the name of Jesus, count it as an honor. Count it as an honor because we know what Jesus did for us. We know what Jesus paid to purchase our salvation. We know what we're worth to him and what it cost. And, and all of these things should give us cause to, to glorify, to glory in that name, the name of Christian. Don't be ashamed, Peter says. So Peter tells us that we have all of this cause to, to opt for joy. And, and again, he was specifically talking to Christians who were suffering physical persecution. Verses 13 through 16, that's what he's speaking of here. But, but friends, these very same treasures can be found in all of our fiery trials when we look to Jesus. And this is why Peter starts out, verse 13, with the words, Rejoice! He says, but rejoice. Friends, what does the word rejoice mean? The word rejoice literally means return to the source of your joy. To rejoice. And what is the source of our joy as Christians? The source of our joy is Jesus. And so Peter says, when you go through the fiery trials, rejoice. Return to the source of your joy. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Hold on to the promises of Jesus. Jesus is the source of our joy. And so rejoice. Thirdly, Peter reminds us this morning, if, if we're going to be a person of hope in the midst of the trials of life, he tells us, number three, perspective matters. Perspective matters. Verse 17 goes on, Peter says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Now, people often get tripped up over this statement, right? Because like, we don't often think of ourselves as God's people as going through judgment, right? I mean, what, what is he talking about? Judgment begins with the household of God. I, I thought we're saved by grace through faith. And Romans 8, 1 says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus, right? So what kind of judgment is he talking about here if we're God's people? Well, friends, understand, Peter's not talking about the judgment of our salvation. We have been saved. We have been justified. We have been made right once for all time by the work of Jesus' shed blood on the cross and our trust in him. The judgment that Peter is talking about here is the process of God's sanctifying work in our lives. It's God's ongoing work of molding us and shaping us and refining us and making us into the kind of people he wants us to be. This is the same kind of sanctifying process that the Apostle James talks about in James chapter 1. 
James chapter 1, the Apostle James says this. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, patience, endurance. And blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Friends, what is James talking about? He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about the tests that God allows us to go through, the trials that God allows us to go through to purify us, to refine us, to make us more and more into the kind of people He desires us to be. And having this biblical perspective on trials, friends, is crucial if we're going to be a people, excuse me, if we're going to be a people of hope. We have to hold on to these promises. And sadly, though, there are many in the church today there are many in the church today who, who would argue that true Christians should never suffer. There, there are some who say that suffering and trials and hardships, this, this all reveals a lack of faith in our lives. This is the, the false teaching known as prosperity theology. And sadly, it's rampant in the church. You can see it all over on cable television, Christian shows, and in books, popular books. It's the idea that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And if you're not healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, you just don't have enough faith. You see, if you had enough faith, God would bless you with with all of those things, with health and wealth and prosperity. And so if you don't, you just don't have enough faith. Friends, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's not at all what God's Word teaches. Certainly not what we find here in 1 Peter. God's judgment through trials is one of His primary means of refining us, of sanctifying us, of shaping us into the people He wants us to be for all of eternity. My son Caleb and I, one of the things that we enjoy doing together is we, we, we like to do some woodworking. And so in our garage, we've got a little workbench set up, and we've got a bunch of tools, and we like making stuff together. And, you know, I'm not a pro, but we just like tinkering with things. And so we've made chairs and tables and benches and all, all kinds of stuff, right? And, uh, and it's always interesting because for those of you who have ever done any kind of woodworking, you know that there's a time in the process where you look at what you've made and you think, hey, this, this is finished, right? We're good. This is, I mean, we got a bench here. It works. You can sit in it. But if you know about woodworking, even when it looks as if you've got a finished product, you know that there's still refinement that needs to happen. That there are times you need to go back and you need to check the screws and make sure they're, they're all tightened properly. You need to go back and you need to get the sandpaper out and sand down the rough edges. And it's interesting, I find in my own life, oftentimes, I, I look at my life and I, I kind of feel like, you know, man, I'm doing pretty good here. You know, I, I mean, you know, I've been saved and, you know, God's been doing some things in my life. I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. Thank you, Jesus. And God says, no, Jason. I hate to break it to you, but there's still some rough edges. There's still some some cutting that needs to be done over here. And there's still some sanding and shaping and smoothing and refining that needs to happen. And you know, those seasons in my life are sometimes very hard and sometimes very painful. And I need to remember that God is doing His sanctifying work in my life 
when he is in the process of sanding out the rough edges. And this perspective on our trials is crucial for us to understand, both as we go through trials and, and, and as we look at the reality of trials in the lives of those we love. Having this proper perspective, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And, and it's essential for us to understand what Peter says next in verse 17 and 18. Peter goes on, he says, And if it, if judgment begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, what's Peter's point here? Well, he's simply reminding us that we need to keep a proper perspective, both on God's sanctifying work in our lives, but also on the crucial importance of the gospel of trusting in Jesus Christ for our salvation as the only way to be saved. Peter's saying here, let me paraphrase him, he says, look, if God allows us, his beloved children, to go through trials and suffering, and this is part of our salvation, how much worse will the ultimate judgment be for those who haven't trusted in the gospel? That's Peter's point. And friends, these verses here should serve as a massive warning to all who have yet to trust in Jesus for their salvation. See, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Think about those words, friends. Why did Jesus say, I am the way? He, he said, I am the way because without Jesus, you are lost. Why did he say, I am the truth? He said, I am the truth because without Jesus, friends, you are living your life in error. And why did Jesus say, I am the life? It's because without Jesus, you are dead. Lost for all of eternity. Separated from the one and only giver and source of life. The one in whom we discover life and life abundant. That's only Jesus. And this is why putting our trust and hope and faith in Jesus is so essential. This is why we as Christians go into the world and we share the hope of the gospel, the good news, that it is possible for rebels and sinners to be reconciled to our Creator God through the gift of His amazing grace which He purchased through the shed blood of Christ on the cross. And when we trust in Jesus, and when we put our hope in His amazing grace and that gift of forgiveness, that gift of love, Jesus covers us with his shed blood. And God in his holiness and righteousness, he no longer looks upon our sin. He sees the shed blood of Jesus that covers our sin. And this allows us to come back into his presence. And friends, there's no other way. There's no other way but Jesus. And so to be a person of hope, friends, we, we need to have this proper perspective on our salvation. We need to have this proper perspective on what God is doing in our lives through His sanctifying work and also why the message of the gospel is so significant for the sake of the world. Perspective matters, friends. 
And then lastly this morning, to be a person of hope. Peter says, remember, entrust yourself to God. Entrust yourself to God. I love verse 19. This might be the best verse in the whole letter. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now here again, we see Peter very clearly. He ties our suffering directly to the will of God. Remember, God is sovereign. He has a plan. He has a goal for our lives. He is the potter. We are the clay. And because of this reality, Peter concludes his message on our response to the trials in life with one last admonition. He says, entrust your soul to God because he is a faithful creator. The word entrust here, it's an interesting word. It's a banking term. In the Greek, it's paratithene. And it means to make a deposit, to, to entrust a possession with someone else. And so Peter tells us here to entrust our soul to God because he's a faithful creator. Friends, you know there's no safer deposit you can make to entrust your soul to our faithful creator. Are you going through trials and hardships in life right now? If so, entrust your soul to our faithful creator. Are you a person who has strayed from God and you're walking in sin and rebellion today, if that's where you're at, entrust your soul to our faithful Creator. And you don't even need to delay. You can do that right now this morning. Even this morning, you, you can make a trip over to First International Bank of Amazing Grace and you can deposit your soul right now into the hands of our faithful Creator. And in doing that, friends, you can understand what it is to be a person of hope. You know, it's really interesting. In my 20-plus years of ministry, I've experienced usually one of two responses from people when they experience trials and suffering and hardship in life. Some people experience the trials of life and, and they run away from God. They turn their backs on God. They say, I don't want anything to do with God. If this is what you're going to bring into my life, then, then I don't want you. And they become bitter and angry and rebellious and they, and they run away from God. But it always is interesting to me because the person who runs from God, the, the trials don't disappear, do they? The trials are still present. But sadly, now they go through the trial alone. But the other option, the other person I see is the person who runs to God. When the trials come and the hardships come, they, they run to God and they lean into God and they fall into His loving arms. And they experience the power of His love. They become a person of hope, even in the midst of the hardship. Friends, depositing your soul into the hands of our faithful creator, it makes all the difference. And I want you to consider this. I don't think it's any accident that Peter calls God here a faithful creator. As the one who created all things, who controls all things, who superintends all things. See, Peter had experienced this reality himself as a disciple of Jesus. You remember the story in Matthew chapter 8? Jesus and his disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee. Peter was there. 
When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And the disciples went and they woke Jesus, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then Jesus rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? What sort of man is this? He's a faithful creator, friends. He's a faithful creator. And I want you to know this morning, friends, when the winds and waves of your life seem overwhelming, when it seems that your boat's going to be swamped, you too can entrust yourself to the one who says to the storms, peace, be still. Friends, isn't it great to know that we can be people of hope in the midst of the trials of our lives? I pray that the Lord encourages you today through these promises. And remember, the potter's at work, and you can trust him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for these great promises that you've given us in your word. Promises that inspire us to be people of hope in the midst of even the fiery trials of our lives. Lord, we don't always understand your will and your ways and why you allow us to go through what we do, but, but we trust you. We trust you because you've told us that we are your beloved. You've told us not to be surprised. You've told us that these trials come as tests that help to shape us more into your image so that we might become the, the people you desire us to be for all of eternity. And Lord, we know that you are faithful and you are good and that you never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that you would help us to be people who keep our eyes on you as our sovereign God. Help us to be people who opt for joy in the midst of our hardships. Help us to keep the proper perspective on our suffering, Lord, recognizing your sanctifying work in our lives. Help us, Lord, to and trust our souls to you when the wind and the waves seem overwhelming. And Lord, in doing all this, may we discover your faithfulness. May we discover your joy, your amazing grace, your peace, and your hope as we look to you. Lord, I want to pray specifically this morning for my friends here, for those watching online who are going through great trials today. God, I pray that you would come alongside them here right now in a very powerful way, reminding them of who they are as your beloved, your great love for them, your promise to never leave them or forsake them. God, give them an experience of supernatural joy today, even in the midst of their fiery trial. And Lord, may they be a person of hope as they continue to look to you, trusting that you are good and you are faithful. We pray this, Jesus, in your great name. Amen. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. I also want to let you know if any of you would like prayer today, uh, some of our elders will be here at the front of the platform after the service, and they would love to pray with you. I close with this benediction from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself 
And God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may He comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. May God bless you and have a terrific week. Amen. Hi everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.